Hello there and welcome to episode 97 of the Value Through Vulnerability podcast. My name is Gary Turner, your host. Thanks very much for joining us today. Today I am really, really excited, as I always am, to introduce you to another really cool guest. This time it is Arlene Mendoza. She's been on quite a personal journey over the last 12 to 18 months. She very vulnerably shares part of that with us today, which is really, really inspiring and uh, interesting to learn from. Um, Up front, this is a little bit more off the wall than normal, shall we say, this conversation. Um, So originally it was going to be episode 99. um, So you'll find Arlene and I having a little bit of a random sing-song to that effect, which actually, as you now know, this is actually episode 97. So it's actually really quite amusing um, listening back. Um, The main reason that we did actually bring this forward is that Arlene is one of the facilitators at Sarah Elkins No Longer Virtual, which takes place um, during the middle of March. And I just wanted to make sure that this conversation went out before um, that event takes place in Chicago, just in case it, it reached more people. Um, there's a lot of love for mutual friends between Arlene and I, including the likes of Claude Silva, Mike McCanty, Kevin Monroe, um, Kat Hayes, and a few others. Um, a few of the things that really um, piqued my interest through this conversation was just the consideration and compassion that Arlene exudes in everything that she does, her curiosity. You know, she asked the question around how do I make decisions more from my heart, for example, and she also spoke about start by listening to those that will be impacted by the work that you do. Understand that piece first without your assumptions and biases. She really does come from this deeply humanistic um, lens on the world. I also really enjoyed when she shared that what inspires her is not just the human-centered design approach, but the intersection of public policy, legislation, and uh, data. And I think this word's really important. It's one I keep learning more and more about in recent months, intersectionality, and that is a critical element of inclusion. You know, I truly believe that we are all innately included before we start overthinking our way away from that socially and in other ways. But I'm just curious what you think about that. Yeah, I just love how through her work she's tackling intersectionality by design and i just think that's a really really powerful thing to uh, to consider so enjoy the conversation um please do reach out and connect with arlene she's an amazing human being doing great work and uh, i look forward to any thoughts that you may have and uh, enjoy the podcast welcome to value through vulnerability this is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity and this is a really special moment because it is episode 99. What does that mean, Arlene? Because we're going to party like it's 1999. Perfect. (laughs) Now, welcome, listener. Thank you for joining our madness today. You just heard Arlene Mendoza, who is a really awesome human. Why? Because it's quite a unique podcast, this one. Not only are we singing to you, and please don't complain, um, Arlene has made a pivot to reimagine what her life could look like. So Arlene, welcome to the show and please expand on that introduction. Oh, well, thank you, Gary, and wonderful to be here. Um, so a couple, about a year ago, um, I made a change and I made this decision to, to make a pivot. And after 13 years in a successful corporate gig and different projects and promotions, I thought, I thought about a different way of being, a different way of showing up, a different way of decision-making. And um, in search of, I call it the reconnecting with my spirit sabbatical um, and really thinking about how do I make decisions from my heart? And so on January 19th, 2019, that was the last day of, of, my, of my work. 
And I, from that day moving forward, I said, I want to stay curious, expand my comfort zone, try new things, find new tribes, and, and imagine how I can show up in this world. And how does, how's that looking for you today? Because I remember seeing some really vulnerable and open and courageous videos that you were sharing as you were going through that, that reimagining. Yeah, so I think it, one of the things that I did that oh, it just terrified me was, and I want to add a little bit to your, the video LinkedIn series, is I started to become more um, of a user on the LinkedIn platform. And I thought I'd like to share this journey that I'm on. And um, I was inspired by our mutual friend, Kat Hayes, and she said, just put some videos out there. And I thought, well, I don't know if I can do that, Kat. She's like, well, just do seven days. So I initially committed to only doing seven days um, of what I felt, what I experienced, what I was trying. And I put the series out. And after the first video, I was just in a vulnerability hangover state. But, um, but I really enjoyed the process, the engagement, the feedback. Um, and I, I stretched it out to 20 days. But I think there was some clarity in speaking truth to what I was going through and what I was feeling and what I was learning that, um, that, that informed me, informed me on, on what, ne what my next steps would be. So what does that look like for you today? Because I'm really intrigued. I know you do a lot, like your background, I just find it so fascinating. Again, another powerhouse from STEM, yeah? MBA, um, a bachelor's in mechanical engineering. Yeah, so you're really like, and I love your busting all the stereotypes, um, basically, <laughs> as you've gone through your career, which is amazing. So what are you actually doing now? And, and how are you bringing this reimagined Arlene to the world? Right. So, so now I am a senior innovation program manager at a nonprofit called Aluma. And we are at the intersection of public policy, data, technology, and human-centered design. And um, it's really fascinating to me because I, I had never had experience with the nonprofit world. And the vision of our CEO is to bring in a lot of technology and tools that are used in the more like techie startup world and the methodologies and integrate them into business processes here at Aluma where we develop software solutions and we develop um, ways for people to enroll in federally mandated programs, social service programs. Um, and so I'm putting together and supporting the development of two things. So one is the human-centered design innovation program to introduce new ideas and expand on our existing um, platforms to serve additional demographics and additional populations. And two is to also support the um, strategic vision of how do we shift mindsets and how do we influence existing business processes to have an uh, organizational-wide philosophy with data, tech, policy, and human-centered design. That is so cool because I, I think what's coming up for me straight away, Arlene, is really interesting that today in 2020, like human-centered design is even a thing. And I think, you know, we're both part of the humans first sort of conversation, the movement, 
and it's interesting isn't it that we're sort of waking up to the fact that a lot of our processes and systems have not been very people-centered oh totally and i think my background coming from a more established corporate environment is i've seen the product development cycles and i've seen um, how that flow that business process flow of a great idea a bit in isolation developed tested iterated pivoted but not always with the information of the actual user and it, that information and feedback of the user comes late in the game and i love the human-centered design model that flips that a bit and the human-centered design philosophy fundamentally is who are your users what are they doing what are they experiencing and you're trying to understand the problem from the perspective of the user first what is it that's going on how is what tools are being used and then you're evaluating what barriers and pain points and challenges and you're solutioning at the end you're not even thinking about solutions first you're thinking about what truly is the problem and the barriers for for that situation um, and you're doing a bunch of activities right and you're iterating constantly and you're getting feedback constantly and um before you're even building a prototype it's, it's so intriguing because like how how many like like organizational design traditionally as much as i love that topic area it, i remember the term start with the end in mind like this completely flips it's like no start now iterate and then the end might turn up at some point <laughs> and start well and start by listening to those that will be impacted by the solution like that is where you start you start with a human who is going to be impacted by a process or a technology or or an organizational restructure or, or whatever that is understand that piece first with without your assumptions and biases i think that's the other thing is you have to continuously um, check in with yourself is and if you're coming in with assumptions that's okay but state those assumptions and it's completely okay for them to be invalidated oh now now, you, now you've got my juices flowing arlene like so that speaks <laughs> brilliantly that speaks brilliantly though, to the whole like vulnerability courage conversation you know to actually name a bias or, yes you know so how does that show up in the work that you do oh i was like um so i think it and again, I'm new to this organization. I'm three months in and I'm new to this um, sector of, of federally mandated programs. But speaking for myself, I can see my own biases show up because I use a lot of technology. I have a certain education level. I have a certain socioeconomic status. Like I, you have to be very mindful of like I use my phone more than I use my computer again i use certain apps i tie them into certain credit cards i'm okay with i'm okay with doing that i um i ask certain questions i um i have a certain type of agency and confidence as an individual and so i have to be very mindful i think of all of these um normal ways of operating um and check it at the door and just be 
very clear around my questions that I'm in a discovery phase where someone may not have access to a cell phone. Someone may not speak English as their first language. Um, the pull down menus when someone's trying to enroll for something, even the, the, the color, the, um, the action of using a mouse to pull something down, the, the way a question is framed, um, uh, the emotional state of an individual. If you're in need and you're in survival mode versus this is a nice to have, two, it's two different mindsets. So um, I think it's asking of my coworkers, like, am I, am I on the right path? Um, did I ask the right type of question? May have may my question have been construed and did I offend anybody? So I think it's a lot of like holding space in a lot of different pieces from technology to accessibility to legislation to um, people's need people's needs. I'm so inspired listening to you talk about that because it's not that sort of journey that discovery you're sharing is not i would say from my personal experience mm -hmm. not the type of experience that we believe that we get if we're dealing with like a public sector or a, a service organization mm -hmm. from government so mm -hmm. is this mm -hmm. quite, is this quite new this this approach to social support do you believe i believe it is i don't know i don't know of other um I know of very few, I would say, entities that are approaching problems in this way. But again, I'm not, I'm not really well versed in the social services sector. Um, and may I add that I think this human-centered design approach is also new, like everywhere, right? Like from, from corporations to social services sectors, to healthcare, to banking, to finance, I imagine it's a newer, because it's a newer um, mindset. Um, and, and I think that, uh, I think I'm wired this way and I never knew so much about the human-centered design stuff. Um, I just discovered it eight years ago by watching YouTube videos and then YouTube like suggests other YouTube videos. And then I got hooked on IDEO and I got hooked on the D school at Stanford. And um, I got hooked on some of the courses that the D school teaches and some authors. I'm from, I'm from the Bay area in California. Um, and so it just like the whole approach to human centered design makes sense to me um, because why create an isolation? why not create by having input and feedback from the people who are going to actual experience whatever that output is yeah it, it, it speaks so powerfully like if i look at my own work organization or a lot of people in, in the network it is literally this getting away from the old mechanistic cogs in a, you know cogs in a wheel through to actually we are all human we are all valuable we all have something to say and contribute to the system so how do we get those voices out? Yeah, and I, I think you're right. It doesn't matter of the sector. I think it's just yeah. a shift, consciousness shift. And I think it's like, why, might we also consider a different um, approach to problem solving? Because I think of like our, our, our evolvement, like industrial evolvement of efficiency. You know, when I come from like Six Sigma, the lean manufacturing, like I understand all that language and, and how do you build efficiency and eliminate waste? That for me is a very automated industrial type
type of process, like make a door on a car more efficient. Gotcha, cool. You know, paint time, manufacturing time, install time. Um, but then I think there's this involvement now of, might we also consider people's emotional states and feelings and um, just because the door is one way and we've been conditioned to open a car door one way, might there be additional ways? Or what if there's a disabled individual? Or what if it's a child? Or, or you know, like, what if it's an elderly? Um, I love approaching problems from this consideration of all of the others. And I think the human-centered design accounts for that other piece um, as you're building in solutioning into your organization or, or, or whatever that that is. Yeah, so, um, and I wanna add one more thing. I'm thinking of like here at Aluma, it's what inspires me is it's not just the human-centered design approach, but the, the intersection of public policy, legislation, right? Because that's how we're mandated and that's how funds are distributed. But there's also this technical piece of data management and data sets and, um, incorporating and using data in in a way that um like eliminates barriers and like for example right now when you enroll in certain services people have to enroll multiple times and when you're stressed out that must feel really overwhelming so why not consolidate back-end data to make it easier to enroll for multiple services so those are just some examples of how we're thinking of the human first, consolidating back-end technology, and adhering to the policy and the legislation standards. It's so, it's so lovely. I, I know that, looking at your LinkedIn profile, I love how you talk about that your, you know, your mission is to scale tech for good while accelerating human potential. And that's exactly what you're speaking to. So it really seems like you're in your sweet spot right now, Ali. Well, and it goes back to so that, that, my personal mission statement was like a year's worth of work, right? It was, it was, I never even had a personal mission statement. I never even knew what, like, I just, I honestly, Gary felt that that was so fuzzy, like, so like woo woo. And I felt like Tony Robbins says I should have a personal mission statement, but why? Like, I didn't understand the value or the power of it until I took time off to slow down and, and just imagine what else might I add or contribute to the world and then figure out like what's important to me, you know, what matters and go through this very, it was a bit tumultuous process of, like, and a lot of writing and journaling to get to that, like tech scale for good in order to amplify human connection. Like I can now say it and it feels like me, but it probably took a hundred iterations to find that, to find that. And once I found that clarity, then it felt almost as if like the opportunity met me, like this role, uh -uh, yeah. Um, and I didn't know, I didn't understand that a year ago. Like I didn't understand that through clarity, something would meet me where I was. I almost was trying to cast a net that was too wide and be like, all things 
That resonates so much with me, so much with me. And I think what's really interesting, two things to pull them together. One thing you said about slowing down and yeah. also that the net was cast too wide. And I think that's definitely the dominant paradigm is busy, 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 hamster wheel, keep delivering, hit the numbers, keep going. Like we really don't prize slowing down and allowing our intuition to come to the fore, I don't think. Would you challenge that or would you build on that? What's your, what's your thoughts around that? Well, so I have two thoughts. And I'm, I'm t I agree, and I think it's also, I've been thinking a lot about this. Like, one is, what family structure did you grow up in? And culturally, like, what is rewarded or recognized? And so, like, for me, my family is very go, go, go. I mean, I think that the, one of the greatest gifts is the work ethic <laughs> that my parents instilled in us. And my parents were very much of the mindset that you figure it out. You will figure it out. There's a way. If you haven't figured it out, you haven't asked the right questions and don't complain and go. <laughs> like that, that was how we grew up, right? Like, and so it made us really self-reliant and it made us really um, like go-getters and we can just figure stuff out. Um, and then even in school, the, the way things get rewarded, I think, right, like the achievement. And then I think so moving into college and then moving into the corporate world, like I think a lot of things were reinforced around achieving versus, versus like the slowdown of evaluating. Um, and so I, I totally became that guinea pig that cog like um and then i mastered it really really well and became just like busy busy person perform perform output output um and i think i didn't really give myself the opportunity or i thought i'd be wasting time i thought if i slowed down too much like nah you're not going to be productive you're going to waste time it's woo woo <laughs> like if you're not doing, like you're not progressing, but my interpretation of doing was this busyness, tangible output. And what I did the last year was more introspective, right? It was the literally just no meetings, <laughs> phone isn't going off, um, the sitting with myself which is really, really weird and uncomfortable for me. Like, it almost felt like I was a non-productive human. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, mind speaking, yeah. do you mind speaking about that a little bit? So what, what was uncomfortable for yeah. you in that journey? What, what was, because I, I sense there's something here a little bit around sort of identity going on for you during that period. Oh, um, so I didn't have a plan. I, I shouldn't say I didn't have a plan. I had, I had an idea of, again, like reconnecting with myself and reimagining a new way of working and showing up, but that's where I left it. And I think the discomfort for me was, um, the unknown of, you know, when you go to college and you're given a flow chart and in that flow chart, 
it's like quarter one, quarter two milestone. Like, you know, you're working towards your degree in four or five years. And then in the corporate world, I had these quarterly metrics and goals and I knew where I was tracking. And in the last year, I, I just knew I needed something new. I knew I needed something different. Like I felt what was happening in the past wasn't serving me anymore. And I, I knew I needed to make a pivot, but I think the unknown, the felt really uncomfortable um, because it was so ambiguous. Because it was like, hey, like what happens like next, right? What happens next month? And what happens the month after that? There, and the answer of just being, just be, like just be still and um, like the answers will come and, and, and like meditate and sit with the stillness. Like I didn't appreciate that for a really long time because it was completely foreign. And I'd never seen anyone go through this. Like I think that's the other piece, right? Is you take that first step, but there's, in my circle, in my community, in my network, I didn't know of too many, very, 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 very few, maybe one or two individuals that were taking some time off to slow down and to really look inward. It wasn't like going on a sabbatical to do some research, you know, somewhere. It wasn't that type of sabbatical. It was like doing research on myself and I had no, um, I just didn't have anyone to, to even share, I think, in the day-to-day -day or the week-to-week -week emotional experience of what that was like. Mm. Yeah. So what, what's, what's maybe surprised you the most as you've started in your new role post-sabbatical? What, 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 what are the experiences that were really surprising to you as you, as you went through that reimagining? Wait, can I add one thing before I answer that question? Because something just came to mind as I was talking about this, a little bit of loneliness and isolation that I felt. Um, because I want to add that the way I think I, I found <laughs> a solution to the loneliness was community and being very intentional about creating a new community for myself. And I want to attribute that to um, Claude Silver because when I made a decision to lead with heart, make decisions from my heart, I signed up for her class in New York. And I went to her master class in New York. And through that were other individuals who were just on this migration pattern, right? Of doing, showing up differently. And then through Claude, Mike Vacanti and Kevin Monroe and these other individuals who imagine a different world centered on humans and leading with a heart and leading with that connection and belonging. I saw the stuff on LinkedIn and then I thought, well, something resonated with me. Like, I can't really explain it. I dropped a note to, to Kevin and I said, Hi, my name's Arlene. <laughs> Can I be part of your community? <laughs> um, and so I want to add that 
through the, the, the discomfort and unknowingness of the time off, the community that then I found and asking questions of, has anyone been through this? Does anybody feel this? It was like a whole different, it was like opening doors to people who, yeah, Arlene, you're not weird. <laughs> you're not alone. And somebody in Australia or the UK or Japan or India, like, yeah, we're all kind of on this wavelength and we get it. And I was like, this is, this is the power of community and the importance of, of one, like saying, hey, I need some help. And at the same time saying, and searching for like a like-minded place, which can be, it can be scary and daunting, you know, at the same time. So I just wanted to add that, right? Sorry, right before <laughs> we talked. Thank you for doing so. And I apologize that I didn't, I didn't hope I didn't cut you off previously. Oh. Uh, I, I think it's such, and if I did, I apologize, but I think no, it's, no. I'm so pleased you added what you did because yeah, for anyone that's listening to us now, like this is not a promotional um, podcast just for humans first and for Mike and for Claude, but they are amazing human beings. So do go connect with them, go find them. They're, Arlene and I found each other because of this movement of like-hearted. I don't just want to say like-minded Arlene because we've all got our own mind and we, we do challenge each other. We do, right. Right. Our, it's not an echo chamber, but we are like-hearted rather than I would say not like-minded. I think that brings to mind a bit, a bit of an echo chamber, a bit of a right. state. But I do believe we share this universal heart and desire to bring more compassion to, to the world. Right, which, which goes back to the importance of that personal mission statement, because my personal mission statement is to scale tech for good in order to amplify human connection. And it's like Zoom and it's LinkedIn and it's leveraging, you know, platforms that enable and then finding people who are building platforms or using leveraging platforms to scale the technology in a way that connects humans, like, which I fundamentally believe. But I think there's something about that clarity that came to me. And I was like, oh, it, it kind of gu guides me, right? It like leads me <laughs> like, to use tools that people that are available to us every day, you know? Yeah. You, you have got a big heart, Arlene. And I want to thank you for your big heart. And I'm, I'll tell you where I'm coming from with that. Like you, you're currently, despite all of this great work, this reimagined world that you're now creating, you're also a volunteer for three different organizations um, at the same time. And I just really wanted to find out a bit more about that. Where does that, is that paying it forward? Is there something else going on for you? Is it, do you feel deeply connected to those missions? Could you speak a little bit about those volunteer roles you're involved in? Yeah, um, I said perfect timing because I literally like had a call last night with someone, but um, there's this word called tequillo and tequillo is from, I'm, my family is from Oaxaca and we're, our indigenous tribe is the Mistec tribe. And that word tequillo represents giving of service to your community. And it could mean anything from drilling 
drilling for um, plumbing, or it could mean anything from sharing crops, or it can mean anything of if someone's a baker, you share your the tortillas that you make, or, or bread, or childcare, etc. Right? You, the, the concept is to give of the to your community to sustain uh, your community. It's not paid. It's not. It just comes from your heart, like, like an honoring of your tribe. And there is something in me that just believes very much in like honoring of people and helping of people sharing knowledge, sharing resources, sharing insights to support others. Um, and um, one of those organizations that I support really strongly is the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. And I'm actually gonna lead a workshop in a couple weeks that's talking to young female engineers who are gonna enter the workforce. And it, I think it's just literally this full circle of, of, I think we forget that sometimes the experiences that we have, or you know, if I've worked in a certain, and if I work in a certain corporate environment, or I've worked in a certain, I've done certain types of projects or certain types of roles, there's knowledge in that. And I just believe in sharing of that, empowering others, like letting someone know, like, yo, I've been there and you can do it too. And might I offer you resources, tools, a soundboard, um, whatever that is to help ensure your success. Um, I just, I just, yeah, believe in, in that wholeheartedly. If you've got, if there's people listening to us now, kindly joined us today, um, Arlene, and are thinking, really intrigued by Arlene and her journey, and maybe like this reimagining. I quite like the idea of trying to reimagine maybe a different way forward for myself. Do you have any recommendations, or maybe like a killer question that you'd recommend them ask themselves? Oh, that's a good. So I would say, I would offer one, one thing I've learned for myself. Um, so my reimagining of something different came through pain. And, and I want to offer that there's no, there, like it can be, it can come at any time and it can, for me, it came through a painful experience, like health wise and mental health wise. And, and I think sometimes we romanticize too much uh, about, oh, you're taking time off or, oh, you're leaving this or, um, and sometimes the pain for me helped move me, like it moved that, that lever. And I beat myself up for that for a long time. And I just thought, I should, I should be stronger and I, I should be more grateful and I should like take this on, but I'm actually leaving cause I'm suffering and that's okay. You know? So I think my offer is that's okay. If some of these changes that you're making in whatever capacity come from maybe a darker place than, than we'd like to acknowledge. 
speaks so directly to me, Arlene, as you know, like, yes, yeah, so mine came from the acknowledgement of bullying and um, uh, you know, living inside my head for 20 years. And like I spoke to someone earlier today, his was being in a car accident. And all of these stories, like you say, we don't tend to talk about the times, you know, it's, it's, it's like the Instagram story, perfect life, perfect holiday, oh. perfect partnership. Like there is definitely value in whatever the emotion is you're feeling, like sitting with it. I really do believe that it can be good, bad, indifferent, but actually allowing ourselves to sit in that emotion for a period of time is far better than doing what I did, which was suppress it and allowing mm -hmm. that then to turn into a story mm -hmm. that doesn't serve you. And I just love, I think it's such a great piece of advice. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, and I want to also add that I think you're right. Um, I love social media and I also worry that it impacts us in a way that we get valid a false sense of validation or a, a misconstrued view of happiness um, because there's the spectrum of emotions always. And might we share in the dark just as much we share in the light, you know. On that note, as we wrap up, like, I, I need another like hour and a half with like, I love, <laughs> like, we, we'll get to catch up at some point. I'm very, very, in fact, I know we will very soon. Oh, uh, for sure. No longer virtual. Tell us a bit about that. So I believe you're one of the facilitation team for that in, uh, in March. Oh, yes. So No Longer Virtual is a um, conference created and founded by Sarah Elkins. She's a podcaster. And I am putting on a workshop about the art of meaningful conversation. And we're titling it Growing Revenue One Conversation at a Time. Um, and I'm it's in March, March 12th and 13th in Chicago. And it's a conference that's focused on really, it has been built out of the LinkedIn community. So I think it's fascinating because it's a lot of LinkedIn individuals who have scaled and built their business, um, leveraging the platform. And also uh, we call it like the unconference because you're not in workshops, you're not going room to room. It really is in one room interactive it's meant to engage community and it's meant to support um, small businesses um, from marketing to sales to LinkedIn branding to um, awareness self-awareness emotional intelligence so thank you for bringing that up yes no that's cool the, the funny thing is despite us doing the first ever Sing song introduction on the value through vulnerability, Arlene. <laughs> I now have vulnerably a dilemma because we've sung in <laughs> number 99, but if we want this to go out before the event, it has to be earlier than 99. <laughs> 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 so you and I can have a chat offline about what we want to do. So um, that's just one for the listeners to have a really good giggle at our, uh, our genuine open. That's one. funny. <laughs> <laughs> so how we'll can figure we figure that out? We'll figure it out. How can, how can people get hold of you, Arlene, if they want to follow up the conversation or get to know you a bit better? What's the best yes, way? Yes, please. So uh, LinkedIn is the best way to get a hold of me. And so Arlene Mendoza, please add me, send me a message, drop me a note. Um, let me know what resonated with you. And please, I love Zoom calls. So I'm more than happy to jump on Zoom calls to get to know you and chat. Well, I strongly recommend that you do, um, if you're listening. Like Arlene genuinely is an incredible thinker, big system thinker, 
things very, very big from 30,000 feet, but can bring it down to like micro amounts. If you want that sort of person in your world, connect with Arlene. So. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. Thank you so much. Lovely to have you on today. Take care. Speak to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Hello there, just Gary Turner here, wrapping up this fantastic conversation with Ali Mendoza. I really hope that you enjoyed it and uh, took away uh, as much as I did from the conversation. So a few of the things that really resonated with me, um, it made me think of a guest that's coming up actually um, next um, on this podcast, Renee Smith, who's been doing a lot of work with government around making work more human. And I just have that really deep um, energetic sense that um, you know they're very much cut from this, from a similar cloth for Arlene and Renee, and I actually Renee is with um, Arlene at No Longer Virtual, um, which will be I believe next week when this podcast goes out. Um, I really enjoyed it where Arlene spoke about the fact that the human centered design philosophy is who are your users, what are they doing, what are they experiencing, and you're trying to understand the problem from their perspective of the user first. Now. This to me is like less of a eureka moment, but a clarifying point for me. And why is that? My own work organization and many in my network are rapidly looking to digitalize inverters commas. And of course, that's, you know, that's on trend. That's important as we, uh, as we go to this internet of things, etc. But I just think getting your people's input at the design phase is such a critical point and is so often a huge own goal and that has been the case in many organizations and it's also been a challenge within my own in that we're rushing projects we're investing tens of millions in them bringing in third parties to help deliver these projects but i can tell you now i'm experiencing firsthand one 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 such implementation where just the, the goalposts are moving all of the time because it's being iterated and changed and then the rules are changing. And that's a good, like iteration and continuous improvement are good of a system. But when they're things that probably could have been omitted had they got the right people involved at the design phase, I just find that a really interesting question. I'd love the, I love if it's resonating or indeed you challenge that. Do, uh, do chime in and uh, let us know what you think. I think it's also interesting hearing Arlene speak about that I, she thinks it's a lot about holding space in a lot of different pieces from technology to accessibility to legislation to people's needs. Do you, do we prize holding space enough? And for me, that term holding space means stopping. It means slowing down. It means coming together on a human level to understand what's working, what isn't. How do we improve? And indeed, I've developed my own collaborative regeneration flow in this area. Um, which you can find on my uh, profile. Uh, I've got a brochure around being an interpersonal catalyst. But this also reminds me of the amazing Claude Silver's work. She was mentioned in the introduction. Um, She speaks a lot around holding space and does that beautifully in her role as Chief Heart Officer at um, VaynerMedia. I thought it was interesting when Arlene shared, again very vulnerably, that the unknown for her when she was going through her reimagining um, of what she, how she could show up and the difference she wanted to make in the world, it felt really uncomfortable because it was so, so ambiguous. And it's a really interesting reflection, that, for me, because every second of every day, really, our human experience is ambiguous. That is what it is. And I think the more we try and force, you know, assurance and guarantees, which is, of course, part of the challenge with the financial markets, the more stress and the more dysfunction we have, so yeah, how do we come together more in that space holding area and allow people to get comfortable with being ambiguous and unknown? I think that's a real, a really important point. And finally, 
I love how Arlene spoke about she loves approaching problems from the consideration of all of the others, inverted commas. I think human-centred design accounts for that other piece. And my goodness, this hit me like a train when I think about the work of Nilofa Merchant and her book Onlyness and the Onlyness canvas that she offers to other people. You know, it's just, it seems so obvious, but when we're running, busy, reacting to day-to-day, we believe that processes own people rather than the other way around. You know, while we're in that reactive mindset, we just can't see that actually by getting the right people in the room and giving everybody a voice intentionally, we can actually design these human-centered cultures, organizations and products and hopefully turn around a lot of the uh, the mass dysfunction that we see on uh, on a macroeconomic basis. So I love this conversation. Loved, loved, loved it so much. I really hope you got some value out of it. If you'd like to contact Arlene, you can find her contact details in the show notes. If you want to contact me, you'll find me at Gary IP Catalyst. That's G-A-R-R-Y IP Catalyst on Twitter or Gary Interpersonal Catalyst on LinkedIn. And my email is Gary Turner Zero. Again, Gary with two R's at hotmail.com. I'd love to get your feedback, good, bad and indifferent. And if you want to be brave, like Mike Baldwin, who kindly left us a voice message, which we're able to attach to the podcast, um, we'd love to hear from you as well. The Anchor platform does support voice messages being left if you're kind enough to leave a bit of feedback in real time. So until next time, um, look forward to uh, hearing any thoughts or feedback you may have and have a wonderful day.